turn with me in your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to continue our study uh, on Moses this morning. You know, sometimes you can get a mental image in your head of what someone looks like by talking to them on the telephone. And then when you finally meet them, the face doesn't match the voice, does it? Well, the same thing can happen to us in Bible characters, in Bible heroes. Many of you in this room have a, 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 an image in your mind of what Moses looked like. And that's because of the power of the screen. If you're over the age of 50, you remember that Moses really is Charlton Heston in the movie The Ten Commandments. And he was a stud muffin, no doubt about it. And, uh, in fact, his son did an interview, and he said, that movie draw my father closer to God than anything else that happened in his entire career. career. Now, if you're younger than 50, you may remember the Prince of Egypt. And Moses would come to mind to you as a totally different character than Charlton Heston. But at the very least, you're not thinking of Charlton Heston, so that's probably a good thing. Some people, women look at Charlton and go, oh, and I look at Charlton and go, oh. But <laughs> the harshness of all of it is the reality. And even though it's harmless, images can sometimes get in the way of what reality is. And a good example of that is Moses. Most of us think of Moses as a mighty man of faith, a hero in the Bible. He stood up to Pharaoh. He led the children of Israel across the desert. He went across the Red Sea with them on dry ground. He received the Ten Commandments, and he spoke face to face with God. All those things are true. But you need to know there's another side of the Moses story. If you roll back the tape to the beginning, if you were here last week, you know that Moses was anything but a hero. You remember it was an ordinary day at an extraordinary bush when God gave Moses a personal call and a divine revelation. And the divine revelation was, so now go. Go to Pharaoh and tell him that I want my people to go. He says, Moses, I've got a big job for you to do. You've had your, feet, your shoes off. Now put your shoes back on your feet. Go to Pharaoh and talk to him for me. The only problem was Moses didn't want anything to do with that if you carefully read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Exodus. He had two objections to the whole plan. First of all, he didn't want to tangle with Pharaoh, and neither would you. He was the most powerful man in the land. It's like the Ukraine taking on Putin in Russia, and he didn't want any of that. Second, he didn't think that his people would follow him. He would say, come, I'm your leader, keep up. And no, he thought no one would want to follow him as he went along. And in short, he thought the whole idea was a disaster and that maybe God should just look somewhere else for a different leader to pull this one off. And that brings us to the text that we have today. We pick up the story. We stopped last week in verse 10 of chapter 3. And today we're going to pick it up in verse 11 of chapter 3 and go through part of chapter 4. But here's the takeaway before I preach to you today, share the message with you today, and that is simply this, when God calls, don't make excuses. Would you write that down somewhere? When God calls, and he will call, if you remember, he has your personal number, you won't put him on call holding, you won't hang up on him, God will get your attention. When God calls, don't make excuses. We're really good at making excuses. You know, my favorite joke, it's a joke, but everyone uses it. The dog ate my homework. I mean, how can you, you want to inspect the dog to see if the math problems are there? I don't think so. But we're good at it. 
The Toronto Sun, which is a newspaper in Canada, recently recorded some of the excuses that people made on their insurance claims after being in a traffic accident. And it's unbelievable what some people would write down. One driver said, well, I was coming home and I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree that I don't have. No further questions. Here's another excuse. The guy was all over the road and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. <laughs> True things. And maybe my favorite was, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and then headed over the embankment. <laughs> you know, that's an honest fellow that filled that claim for him out right there. But today we're going to see that Moses has a bunch of excuses himself, different kinds of excuses when God called him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And before we jump into the text, would you allow me just one more time to briefly give you an overview of Moses? Moses, at this point in time, is 80 years of age. We could hardly blame him if he felt like he was just too old for the job or the job was too, his, too hard. As far as his objections, I believe they were really rooted in reality. It's not as if though Moses is making these things up. Pharaoh wouldn't be glad to see him, and Pharaoh would not want to let the Jewish people go because they were his labor force, and he did not pay anything for their slavery. So why would he openly, wantingly be able to give that up? He was getting free slave labor. And as for the second objection, Moses had every reason in the world to be concerned about his, how his countrymen would receive him. After all, it had been 40 years before, the last time they saw him, he was on the lamb. He was running from the law at that point, and he didn't think they would receive him. So Moses, in these few verses that we're going to look at today, give five excuses. And on the back of your worship guide, I've jotted a place for you to put those in there. See if they sound similar to any of the excuses you've offered God when God calls your number or speaks to you in your heart. They'll sound familiar. His first excuse was simply this, oh no God, I'm unqualified. I, I, I don't have the ability to do this. I do not have a degree. I have been in the backfield. I have not been to seminary. I have not been to any of these things. Notice with me what it says in verse 11. It says, but Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Was he unqualified? The answer is yes. From a human viewpoint, he had no business trying to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. After all, he'd been gone a long time. He'd killed a man the last time we heard of Moses, 40 years previous to this, and his reputation wasn't the best. And if you were looking for a list of candidates to take the people of Israel out of Egypt, Moses would not make the final ten on that list at all. If, and his reputation wasn't the best either. But... God. And God takes things that seem to be unlikely, that seem to be unusable, 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 that seem to be unworthy in the eyes of man, and does incredible things with them. God's reply can be summed up in five words to Moses. Every time God said this to Moses, he said, I will be with you. And if God is with us, what do we have to fear? What's the verse say? If God be for us, who can stand against us? The verse that we have is a state verse in Ohio. Uh, uh, with God, all things are possible. A moment ago in verse 11, I read to you, Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Well, I'd like to answer that question for Moses. Moses, you're the number one candidate. 
You're the one that grew up in Egypt. You're the one that grew up in Pharaoh's home. You know where the stash is. You know where the booze is. You know where the money is. You know everything about Pharaoh's house, Moses. You were there all the time. And so that seems to be an odd question. Who am I to do this? Because 40 years ago, if you would look at Moses, it's almost like he was saying, look at me. Look who I am instead of who am I. When he killed the Egyptian and and was in a, a full height of arrogance. Now he's saying, who am I that I should be the one? I think there's a great lesson in Moses' life for each one of us dealing with being impetuous. And that is being flippant, being folly, thinking something more of yourself than really you should. Do you remember the story in the New Testament? This young unnamed fella comes before Jesus and he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus didn't say, that's great, we need volunteers, sign up. Jesus almost tried to talk him out of it. Jesus said to him, uh, he cautioned him, he said, well, just so you know, the foxes have holes, the birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man, the Son of God has nowhere to even lay his head at night. And incidentally, we never hear of that guy again in Scripture. So, So if you're going to follow me, basically, count the cost. Well, Moses hadn't counted the cost 40 years ago. He killed the guy in a moment of anger. But this time, God is directly calling him to do something, and he's doing what we should do. Did you hear that? He was doing what we should do, and that is he was counting the cost. He said, before I sign up for this assignment, I want to think about, I want God, you to realize what you're calling me to do. Now, it sounds humble for him to do that. But the problem is God didn't come to Moses for a team meeting to say, let's discuss this and let me get input from you. It was a direct command, a direct call from God to Moses. And it sounds humble, but it's being disobedient. And there's a definite balance between the two. On one side of your life, you have self-confidence. On this side of your life, you have no confidence. And all of us struggle with that extreme one time or the other. I'm either overconfident or no confidence. But the truth of the matter is there's a balance, and that balance is God's confidence. What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see the balance? I can't do it on my own, but whatever I have to face, whatever I have to go through, I can do all things through Christ who gives me my strength. And so when Moses is saying, I can't do this, God is saying, you're right, Moses, you can't, but I can. So that dealt with the first excuse. Excuse number two is, they don't know me. They don't know who I am. Notice in verse 13 what it says. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? Now, it's true, he's been gone for 40 years. A whole generation has arisen in 40 years that doesn't even know anything about Moses. They've not heard the name of Moses. And if they heard of, heard of anything about him, it simply would be that he was a fugitive that had ran from the law, and, and he killed an Egyptian, hid his body, and then he ran off into the desert. No one had seen him since. So this excuse does have a a kernel of truth to it. No one is going to know me, but that's not the issue. The question is not, who are you? The question is, who sent you? And God was the one sending Moses at that time. 
And God knew the people would ask Moses this question. This is an incredibly powerful portion of Scripture in your life and mine today when we wonder who sends us to share the gospel, who sends us to share a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, to feed the naked, uh, to to, uh, uh, clothe the naked and feed the poor and care for them. It's who sent us that matters. And that person, of course, is God of the universe. He always was and he always will be. And let me tell you some things I know you know about our wonderful God and Savior. He is above all things. He is beneath all things. He is behind all things. And he's in front of all things. Is there an amen in the house? And by him all things are held together. And in him all things have their being. Everything that was created was created by Father God. Without him, this universe does not exist. This country we love so much does not exist. Think of it this way. According to his name, he is the essence of whatever you need at any point in time. And on Sunday morning, people come to church many times wanting just to worship, but sometimes we come with great needs. But whatever it is you need, he's there at that moment. He would say to you, I am your courage. I am your strength. I am your health. I am your supply. I am your defender. I am your deliverer. I am your forgiveness. I am your joy. I am your future. Whatever it is that you need today, God would say, Jesus would say, I become that to you. I am that I am. And you remember Jesus appropriated that name for himself in the gospel. Seven different times he would say, I am. He said, I am the breath of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door to the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd, on and on. And then he said this. Just to make it clear, before Abraham was, I am. Present tense, past, present, and future with everything. And so what God would say to you and me today is, I am whatever you need, whenever you need it. And for us to know that he is the all-sufficient God in every crisis that you could face. So with that in mind, he says to little Mo, he says, Mo, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him, you, and then you go to the elders of Israel, tell them what I've told you, they will believe you. Go to Pharaoh. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to cooperate. I'll work a few miracles, and he will let you go. Then on your way out, I want you to plunder the Egyptians. That's one of the strangest things in Scripture of how the children of Israel left Egypt with all of their wealth. And the Bible even uses in the original language to plunder it, to take it to get the booty in the original, to loot it. And he says, when you ask them for it, they're going to turn it over to you. They'll give it to you. In other words, don't worry about the future, Moses. God has a plan that covers all the details. Well, his third excuse was, you know, number one, I'm unqualified. Number two, they don't know me. Number three, they won't believe me. You know, you ever have a kid that comes and tells you something and you want to call another kid in to get it verified? You know, Mommy, Jimmy got ran over by a car. Tell your sister to come in here and verify that. I I can't always believe everything you say. So they won't believe me. So now Moses has another what-if question. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 4. He said, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me but say, the Lord did not appear to you? And, And that's very possible. Likely, it was something that could take place because it was a fact. Moses had, it, had this checkered past. He'd been raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected Egypt and chose to suffer with God's people. 
But then he murdered an Egyptian in a moment of anger. He covered it up. And then he ran away into the wilderness. And he's been gone for 40 days. And now he shows up out of the blue and claims that he had a revelation with a burning bush. And that the great I am God appeared before him to share them. There's no way the Jews will believe that story. It just sounds crazy. And God knew that. So he asked Moses a question. In verse 2 through 5 are just amazing things. He said, what is that in your hand, Moses? And it's a staff, he replied. I want you to know what he's talking about. You've seen pictures of shepherds. They have this staff with them. It's a stick. It's a walking stick. It's a correcting stick. It's not a fancy store-bought, Amazon-bought stick. It's probably a stick that he just found out in the desert, and he probably went through a lot of sticks over a 40-year period of time. Nothing special about it. It was the sort of staff you would just find out in the desert, use it for a while, and then throw it away. But here's the point of it. God takes an ordinary thing and does something extraordinary with it. He's about to do that with Moses, but immediately he's going to do it with this stick. And he said to Moses, take that stick, Moses. That's why God speaks. Take that stick, Moses, and throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it turned into a what? A snake, a copperhead. I don't know. But there's this big snake now laying on the ground. And God told him to pick it up again and turning it back into a wooden staff. A staff. By the way, the hardest part would be picking it up again. I wouldn't mind throwing it down, but once that snake is slithering on the ground, Lord, you really want me to pick it up? So God has three answers for Moses. Now catch this. In verses 2 through 5, the first one was the wooden staff. showing that When he said they won't believe me, he says, oh, no. Trust me, I will show them that I can work miracles with ordinary objects. The second was his leprous hand. If you remember, God says, put your hand inside your bosom. He puts it in, and it pulls it out. It was full of leprosy in verses 3, 4, and 5. And he says, now, Moses, put it back in again. And it came out, and it was clean again. I know Moses said, wow. He'd even say it backwards, wow. You know, this is just really an amazing thing, God, that you could do this for me. And then the third thing was turning water from the Nile into blood, which is a preview of the first plague in verses 8 and 9. Well, what was that all about? That was God's way of assuring Moses, Moses, I've got your back. Trust me, if I can turn a staff into a snake, if I can cure a leper's hand, if I can turn water into blood on a dry desert, they will believe you when we get there. But don't miss the original question. Moses asked God these two words. What if? Have you ever played the what if game with God? What if I don't get the pay raise? What if I don't get the job? What if my wife doesn't stay with me? What if my husband leaves? And you go through all of these what ifs. We all want to bargain with God. Something inside of us, I'm sure it is carnal. I'm sure it is merely human. But it causes us to want to question God. When God speaks to us, even through his word... If his word says it, whether we believe it or not, that settles it. But if we see it in his word, he speaks to our hearts, then why do we tend to question that? Something makes us very suspicious. We say things like, now, Lord, what if I get in trouble for speaking up for you at the office? What are you going to do then? Lord, if I go ahead and volunteer to teach those kids in Sunday school and they're brats, what are you going to do at that point in time? Lord... If I do give my tithe to the offering and I can't make my car payment, are you going to pay the rent for me? God, what if? What's going to happen in all of this? Well, Moses had the same problem we have. 
He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. It was perfectly clear. God had said, Moses, you're the man that's going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that was his whole job description. Moses' problem wasn't knowledge. He knew exactly what God wanted. His problem wasn't education or his family background. God had already taken care of that. Moses' problem was fear. He was afraid in the human to step out and to trust God. He was afraid if it didn't work out right, if he did what God wanted him to do, that something would go wrong. Like maybe the Pharaoh would have thrown him to the crocodiles. Or the children of Israel would laugh at him. Or that he would end up in the Red Sea, which he did. And only a miracle can get him out. And so Moses wanted assurance before he took the first step. Sometimes when you're negotiating a job, you want to see the contract before you sign on the dotted line. I want the assurance that if I take this step, and humanly, that's a great idea. But with God, it's sometimes a bad idea to want the assurances up front. What does Hebrews 1.1 say? Now, or Hebrews 11.1 say, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. So this is a step of faith on Moses' part, a step of obedience that he needed to do. And he's out there by burning bush trying to what if the Almighty God. And I know we won't admit it, but we do the same thing. That's why many of you have hesitated in obeying God in areas that he'll speak to you about. Relationships that he wants you to dissolve and walk away from. Habits that are really keeping you from having the joy of Jesus Christ. That calling to step out by faith and witness and share and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. It is that human hesitation. Yes, there may be something of Satan that would try to discourage you when you're trying to do something for God. But when God calls, and incidentally, the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means that God isn't going to change what he wants you to do if you negotiate for three years. Jonah tried that dumb trick. He ran away from God. He found a cruise ship going the other direction. Got on that thing and started playing the casinos and thought he was finished with God. And when he woke up in the belly of a whale, God spits him out on the ground. He gets up and he says, now God, what do you want me to do? And God in the Frankie translation says, dummy, I want you to go back to Nineveh like I wanted you to do to begin with. The orders haven't changed. I called you to that. I'm not sorry that I called you to, that, to do that. You are the man. And that's what's happening here with Moses as well. The real issue is that we have to give up the what-if game. And to obey literally means this. To obey means, now, Lord, I'm ready. You work out the details. That's why we used the blank contract last week, just sign it in. Negotiating means, Lord, you work out the details, and if I like it, I'll sign up. That's a terrible way to do business with God, maybe a great way to do business in the business world, but all Moses has to do is obey, and God will take care of the rest. If Moses needs a miracle, God's already shown him. If you need a miracle, you're going to get one. If you need an answer to prayer, it's on the way. He's going to get whatever he needs, catch this, as long as he obeys God. And I am and you are going to get whatever we need as long as we obey God. And for Moses, there was one issue and one issue only. Will I obey God? Somewhere you ought to ask yourself that question on that worship guide. Will I obey God? Not call yourself to something, but when God calls, will you obey him in whatever area that is? Then excuse number four, Moses just says, God, I'll be honest with you, I can't do it. It's not me. It's not in my DNA. I'm not a leader. I can't pull this off. 
Notice in verse 10. It says, but Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you've been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish, the NIV says. And evidently, he thought the Lord would fix the problem. So if I sign up, Lord, you'll make me eloquent, right? I, I, I can sound like Zig Ziglar. I can sound like some statesman that's speaking all the time. God's answer comes in the form of a question. Would you notice in verse 11? He says, I can't do it. I'm sluggish. And God says, who has placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's why sometimes I get a little bit upset when someone says, if you see a blind person, the devil did that. If you see a deaf person, the devil did that. And God would remind us, I am the Lord God. Who has made the deaf, the blind, the mute? Have not I, the Lord, your God? So what this excuse is, I'm unsuitable. I can't talk. I love how the Living, the living Bible says it. The excuse is, I have a speech impediment. The Moffat translation says it this way. I have no command of words. And another translation says, I'm a stutterer. So, so he's saying, God, I've never been to Toastmasters. I don't know how to really do this. I, I failed speech in high school. I'm, I'm not the right guy for this. I lack natural qualifications. And God says to Moses, said, yes, you're inadequate because I made you that way. It's the hardest thing I've ever asked you to say to your neighbor. Just turn to them and say, God made you this way. He said, Moses, you're inadequate because I... Please, focus. <laughs> Some of you took great, too much joy in that, that last exercise congregationally. <laughs> but, but he's saying to him, Lord, I, I just feel so weak. And all Moses has to do is go speak to Pharaoh, and, and, and the rest is up to God, which leads us to his final excuse. You remember? I'm unqualified. Number two, they really don't know me. Number three, they won't believe me. Number four, I can't do it. But number five is the real reason. You ever hear this? Anytime you hear an excuse, there's, there's really the excuse, and then there's a real reason you don't hear. The real reason came out in excuse number five. I don't want to do it. I don't want to. He, he's saying to him, God, I don't want to. Notice in verse 13, Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. What's God's response? Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Wow. You mean when we reject God's call in our lives, when we are disobedient to the Lord, the Lord doesn't quote the 23rd Psalm to us? When we're that, that, that God is a God of anger and can be upset even with his own children, and it's not a wrathful anger, but it is an anger of correction that he says to him. At last, we're at the heart of the problem. God's called Moses, and he doesn't want to do it. No wonder God got angry. I'm God. I picked you. What do you mean you don't want to do it? But even now, God has an answer to the objection. This is what a great God we serve. Great God we serve. He's saying, well, Moses, if you can't speak, you have a brother Aaron. He's a good talker. We'll let Aaron do the talking. Perhaps Moses had stage fright. I don't know. Maybe he had trouble putting his words together. Maybe he was a fast thinker but a slow talker. And, and he wasn't good at public speaking. 
Aaron must have been persuasive and a natural leader because, you know, he's the one that formed the Levitical priesthood and was over all the priests for all of Israel. Moses will be like God to him, the Bible says, and it's a workable solution, but not without problems because a few months later, while Moses was talking with God on Mount Sinai, Aaron would do nothing to the people or with the people who built a false golden calf to worship God. Do you remember in verse 2 a minute ago when God said, what is that in your hand? It was just a staff. It's just a staff, Moses, that you used to herd the sheep. A wooden staff, and we don't know, it's probably not very beautiful. But God took the thing that Moses depended on and worked a miracle with it. And God will take that thing that you depend on every day in your life and work a miracle with it if you let him to do it. Let him do it. You say, well, Frank, what in the world would God take of mine and work a miracle with it? How about your talents? How about your abilities? I know we all have handicaps, different types, different magnifications of that. We, we have things that God's given us. I know that deep down we all have doubts and we have insecurities. And the truth is we're just clay plot. I don't know why my mouth. I brushed my teeth this morning. I should have never done it. I can't do a thing with the words coming out of my mouth. But just you know what I mean and hush. So, so the truth is we're just clay pots. We're used by God, and in Scripture, the Bible tells us that God uses such things for him. It's always been his plan. His power, our weakness. Paul said it best this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, if you look up these jars of clay in Scripture, scholars will tell us they were just cheap pots. They could be used for cooking in. They could be used for the chambers, for using the bathroom. They could be used for many different things. A housewife may use a clay pot for boiling milk or making soup or different things. They're easily cracked. They're not long-lasting. That's you and that's me. We just have one life. You've seen it at Chick-fil-A. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And the time will go by very, very fast. But though it's cracked and scarred, and though eventually it will be replaced and it will move, be gone, that pot holds something very precious, and that is it holds God's power. And inside of you is God's power. Inside of me is God's power. When you get to the end of all your excuses, God will say to us what he said to Moses. Trust me. I can do more through you than you can possibly imagine. And if you'll make yourself available to me, I will do amazing things in your life. So I want to close. There's a question at the bottom of your outline that simply says, what is in your hand? Now, staff doesn't seem like much. This last two weeks, I've lost over 150 trees through the tornado that touched down in the area a little north of here. And I've brushed away all the staff and all the sticks and all the wood that I possibly want to do. But as I think about the message of Moses and that just that plain stick, if it's placed at God's disposal, he can do mighty things with every one of us. Everyone has something in their hands. You have something in your hand. Your something won't necessarily be the same thing as your neighbor sitting beside you. You may be here today, and your something is a gift for writing. And your words can encourage people. The Bible says there's no end to the writing of books. And the reason for that is people love to learn. People love to read. And that may be your gift. You may have a talent for singing. And we have lots of wonderful folks here that have a talent 
for singing and thank God for that. You may have a desire to care for the needy. Many of you go down to the Stowe Center and to the Faith Mission and the different places and feed and clothe and minister and love on people. You may have financial resources that God will use as a tremendous blessing to his outreach on this planet. You may have time to help others. You may be retired. You may be single, not in the workforce yet. You may be unemployed. Whatever it is, you have some time that you can designate to help other people in the name of Jesus. Some of you have a green thumb. I look around this campus. You know, when we started, we had just a little building up here on the end. And now we mow more grass than I ever dreamed we would be mowing and have more uh, shrubbery. And many of you just come out, dozens of you, and volunteer and work with all of that. And, And that's a great ministry that you do. Maybe you're a painter or an architect or a teacher or a nurse or a doctor, an accountant, an administrator. You may have children or grandchildren that need your guidance. Do not abdicate the leadership of your family to either your work or to your, to, to your spare time. You may teach Sunday school. Maybe you can lead a local mission trip. Maybe you'll run the soundboard of this great ministry where we're often needing volunteers and you think you're a Hollywood producer and we want to give you a chance. You may may be a coach that wants to teach a kid how to hit a softball or shoot a basketball or, or something like that. You may know how to program a computer or how to make money on social media. You may be a photographer, a calligrapher, a fisherman, or a hunter. Perhaps you can make videos. All I'm saying is don't waste your time complaining on what you can't do and what someone else can do. Look at this list and just think, Lord, what can I do? Now, as I've read it to you, I thank God I can't do most of those things. But I can do what God's called me to do and what God's gifted me to do and what God's given me talent to do. And you can do the very same thing. God has placed something in your hands. You have it in your hands right now. The thing is, I want to say to you, is use it for God's glory. And the last thing I would say to you is always know this. If God's calling you, God will equip you to do his will in your entire life. As far as we know, Moses is the only person that God ever spoke to through a burning bush. That didn't happen to Abraham. It didn't happen to David. It didn't happen to Joshua, Nehemiah, or anyone else in the Bible. Moses had seen God's glory, and he said, send someone else. I don't want to do it. No wonder God was angry with him. It's one thing to wait for confirmation. But when we wait and we read the Bible and we pray and we consult with wise counselors, at some point, waiting for faith becomes stalling by faith. At some point, you have to quit praying and get up and start doing I love the story of D.L. Moody on a ship going from America to England. And the story goes that the ship caught on fire. And a group of ladies came up to Dr. Moody, D.L. Moody, and said, Mr. Moody, let's go over in the corner and pray. Mr. Moody said, get a bucket and throw water on it. God can hear your prayers better while you're working. And I want you to know, God hears our prayers best. When we say what Jesus said to his parents at the age of 12, know you not that I must be about my father's business. And I pray today that you will be about our Father's business. And part of his business is to draw each one of us through his precious Holy Spirit to a saving knowledge of him. If you want to do anything great for God, that first step is to come to a saving knowledge in Christ. I would encourage you today that your first action, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, is to surrender to him from the depths of your heart in sincerity. 
realizing a tremendous price has already been paid. God call, If he's calling you, you have to know he makes it able, possible, and Jesus made it possible by dying on the cross 2,000 years ago. And your part of that is not pray about whether I want to be saved or not. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if God is speaking to your heart, today is the day to respond because we have no guarantee of tomorrow. And you'd pray a prayer sincerely from the depths of your heart like this. Dear God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. As much as I know how, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Come into my life, forgive me my sins, and make me the person you want me to be. And guys, whether you're in this room or you're listening by radio or you're watching by way of live stream, I want to encourage you today, if you do not know Jesus, don't let the sun come down today. This may, and I don't want to scare you this morning, but I want to be honest with you. I'm in the business. I did two funerals yesterday. You do not know how long your life is going to be. Don't say, well, I'm thinking about it for a time to come where you're deliberately stalling. And in a moment of time, you can be slipped into eternity. When God calls us, even as Christians, can I say this to you? Will we obey the Lord? You say, how will I know God's calling me? Trust me, you'll know. When you can't do anything else but deal with that issue, you'll know. When you realize that God loves you so much. When, the question is, when we read it in the word of God, will we obey it? When we hear God's word from the pulpit, will we heed that God's word? Not that everything you hear from a pulpit is always of God. Preachers are human. And sometimes they say things, and I've said things, not deliberately in error, but say things that are wrong. But if it is consistent with the word of God, when you're in a Sunday school class or a life group, or you're in this room, I want you to know that I believe that I speak for God. I believe that as his messenger, as his pastor of this church, that when I use his word as the foundation, the things that are consistent with the word of God are intended for each one of us. And that includes me. And so the question is, will you respond to God when he speaks to you that way? When a friend gives you a piece of advice that we recognize as of the Lord, will we obey it? Maybe sometimes God will use a person even that you don't really like to speak into your life. And sometimes God will do that. God will take the carnal, the unsaved, to speak truth into your life. It's a big step forward spiritually when we say, Lord, I'll get involved. I'll stop sitting on the sidelines. We'll say what Moses said in Exodus 3.10, here I am, send me.